Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning again, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We're really excited to be here today. I'm Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, my co-host, is with me today. And we are continuing to dive into this amazing book, which I need to reach down and grab here. Our hmm. I just had it in front of me. Here it is. It is Becoming Your Own Banker. And Bruce, we're on part 17 because we've been very slowly progressing through this wonderful work by Nelson Nash. We've been unpacking the truths that are in this book and making them very plain and probably just adding a lot more thought in and um, not thought than Nelson added. Why are we doing this episode? Why are we doing this series though? We're really unpacking the truths that Nelson laid out. We're making them plain. We are um, putting in experience. We're helping you to understand what exactly he meant by the words that are in the page. We are certainly not um, smarter than Nelson in any way. We are helping you to understand this monumental work that he did in creating this opportunity for everyone to understand infinite banking and be able to use it and apply it in their life. And so that's why we're proceeding through this series. We've been going very slowly. And last week, we started on a chapter called um, Equipment Financing. And if you are following along in your book, that began, I believe, on page 51. Yes, 51. Yes, yes. Through 65. And what we're doing is we did not cover everything that we wish to unpack during that conversation. You can go back and listen to any of the future or the past episodes on this topic. But really, what we're looking at here is how do you capitalize a policy and how do you make sure that you're recovering the banking function? And Nelson walked through multiple examples getting better and better and better the more he used the policy. And we're going to highlight why that was. It's really because he's putting more capital into the policy. The reason that capitalizing a policy is valuable for you is the more money you capitalize a policy with, the more running room it gets, the more traction it gets, the more acceleration, so so that you have higher cash value in the end, higher death benefit, higher dividends, and you have the ability to use it in tremendous ways and you have more and more opportunity. It gets better and better the more you capitalize and the longer you hold it. And that's really what Nelson was doing by showing these ways to finance equipment. So today we're going to continue on with this conversation that we had begun last time. And Bruce, I'm going to add something to this, but I want to just hear your thoughts as we're coming into this particular conversation at this stage in the series on becoming your own banker. I think my thoughts are, as I continue to, you know, Nelson had 30 years head start on me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I knew him very well. But, you know, I, the more I look at this, the more my eyes are open that it really isn't about the numbers. And the more I read about this, it's really about the human condition. Um, that you have to, and you have to overcome the pressures of society and the pressures that you put on yourself uh, about money 
And he also talks about this today when we were, we were talking about this, because a lot of people got all uh, bent out of shape about the book because they said all these equipment financing illustrations are way out of date. And Nelson would say, it's not about the numbers. It's actually about the system. Mm-hmm. And he's hundred percent correct. Um, and yet I fall in that trap w- worried about the numbers a lot of times, but I think the reason you worry about the numbers is because numbers tend to be more concrete and you don't have to admit to yourself that you're doing things poorly in your life. <laughs> And we all don't it's want to so admit to true. that. It's so true. And Bruce, I'm going to just jump in real quick here. Thank you for bearing with us. If you were waiting for us to get started, I know we started a little bit late this morning. I want to encourage you to post your questions today. Um, you may be somebody who comments regularly on the show. And for that, we thank you. And we're very grateful. You may be someone who listens regularly and jumps in the live, but doesn't comment. And I want to encourage you that if you've been with us for a hundred episodes, or if this is your very first one, and you are interested in the idea of infinite banking, the infinite banking concept, understanding what it means, and really being able to take that ownership and control in your financial life, you probably have questions and we would love to hear them and be able to address them as we're working through this conversation today. So I will ask you at the top of this show, are you using infinite banking right now personally? I would love to hear a yes or no, I'm not yet. And then I would like to ask you as well, in addition to, are you using infinite banking personally? I would like to ask you, what is your number one question about infinite banking? And it may be relevant to the specific topic we're talking about today, or it might be something completely off of our radar that we would love to be able to address. I will tell you that, oh, thank you, Patrick Davenport, jumping in on YouTube here. He said, yes, so you're using infinite banking personally. Thank you for sharing that this morning. So if you are using infinite banking, we'd like love to know. So pop a yes in. No, if you're not personally using infinite banking yet, your number one question about infinite banking. And if you're not using infinite banking yet, I would love to hear on this feed, whether you're listening live or whether you're catching the comments later, what is the one challenge that you have? The one thing that seems to be a hurdle or a, a limitation or a reason, the one reason why you have not started infinite banking yet. And this is not to call you out. This isn't to make anyone feel bad, but challenges that you are facing that are difficult for you to um, begin using infinite banking, we'd love to hear about because if that's something that we can help you through, great. If it's something that you are um, continuing to work on your own process, we'd love to be part of that process and part of the answer for you. So Mark Perry, thank you. I have two banking policies that I'm actively using. Awesome. The cost of finance says, yes, both my wife and I have policies. I kind of rephrased your sentence. You said, yes, my wife and I both have policies. I just rearranged your words. But um, thank you for jumping in this morning. And we're glad to have all of you, Mark, Patrick, the cost of finance. um, Thank you for being with us today. So Bruce, last time we started on this equipment financing chapter, and I think what was really interesting as we were coming into this conversation is that it's really not about equipment financing, but he uses equipment financing to show you the value of capitalizing a policy and how to do that. Latanya Jones, thank you for jumping in on the conversation here. Good morning. Not yet. Call book. Please elaborate on convertible term and PUAs. And Calvert Enterprises says, yes, I do use infinite banking. I have policies on myself, my wife and my seven children. Oh, yes. The cost of finance. Dr. McFarland. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for um, jumping into the chat this morning. That's great. 
And um, so last time we talked about the idea that the best capitalization you can get on an infinite banking policy in order to have the greatest cash value, the greatest dividends, the greatest death benefit at the end of the policy would be to fully pay the policy, all of your base, all of your paid up additions. Well, first, providing you have a good policy with a good company, you would then pay all of your base, all of your PUAs as long as possible. Now, that would be excellent. However, it doesn't always, it's not always feasible for someone to do. And there's many reasons why you may want to finance the policy or, or pay the premium for the policy differently. So Nelson starts in this chapter by instead of having you pay base and PUAs the whole way through the policy, he says, let's just capitalize four years. And after four years, let's not put in any more premium dollars. That doesn't mean he's not putting more into the policy, but remember, he says no more premium dollars. Then what happens is he starts paying the base premium from dividends. He surrenders the dividend to pay the base premium. And after that, then he says, well, that's not quite enough because there's not high enough dividends to pay the full base in the early years. Then he's surrendering a portion of the death benefit to pay the base policy. Then he walks it. So the cool thing about that is that he's saying, look, you can finance a policy. You can capitalize just these four years. In this case, maybe it's different today in today's environment, but you can capitalize just a few years and then have this engine that continues chugging along doing amazing things for you. So he shows you reduce paying up the policy or would that be called reduced paying up Bruce? I need to be clear about that. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, say that again, because I would was that be re- called reduced paying up what he did financing just the first four years and then the dividend paying. No, to the no, base? no, 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 that would not be called reduced. Okay. Up. So wrong words. Yeah because, yeah. because reduced paid up, you can, even if you want to, you can, you cannot put any more premiums in. That's even correct. If you're surrendering di- dividends. That's correct. Okay. So I misspoke. But what he's saying is you're having no more capital going into the policy. No more um, that you're paying out of your own pocket in terms of the cost basis. Then what he does is he starts from that position and shows you how great the policy would be towards the end with your dividends, your cash value, and your um, your death benefit. Then he says, what if you find... Well, actually, we we stopped last week with that illustration under our belt And then this idea that while this gentleman, who is this example illustration that Nelson is walking through in this chapter, while he's doing that with his policy, he's also over here in his other pocket paying for equipment in his logging business. And Nelson's speaking from experience, but he's financing big equipment that costs a lot of money. And so he's showing the contract for purchasing these, I believe it was a truck, um, a piece of equipment. And he's showing this policy. And then we're just about to walk into the idea that if you're running your infinite banking policy over here and you're running your financing for equipment over here, what if you recognize that both of those things are happening in the same financial system because your money is this system of money that's flowing through your life? How about if we combine them together and what can be possible with that? So um, Bruce, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to um, cover from what we talked about last time, but we can pick up right where we left off unless you have something else. There, you there add. is one more thing on page 58. And I hope everybody has the book. If you haven't, if you don't have the book, you really need to get it. This is my second book. Um, my first one was lost in a fire and it was tattered. This one's getting tattered because I'm constantly reading it, using it, uh, showing it to people, so on and so forth. One of the greatest um, edits that I believe Nelson and David Stearns, the current president of the Nelson National Institute, did was on page 58. 
where at the bottom he's, it says, actually, this interest, this confuses people all the time, is not really interest. It is additional premium capital that has been paid into the policy that equals the interest that is being paid to the finance company. <clears throat> that is the reason that is adding to the cost basis of the policy. If you have trouble understanding this, go back to the grocery store on page 15. If you still don't understand it, then contact me. This is how, excuse me, this is how passionate Nelson was about this. He would take people and he wanted them to understand that this so much that he said, contact me. I'll, I'll explain it to you. So I think most people understand it now is that when Nelson was talking about paying additional interest, he was simply saying, you're not paying the premium from capital that you already have. You're paying it from the cash flow that would have went to a finance company and you're paying it in the form of the PUAs or the premiums that you you would normally have paid from your own capital. Why were you able to do that? Because you capitalized. It's that simple. Absolutely. And that is a really important piece that we're going to be demonstrating as we walk through these examples because um, there's actually some really cool stuff that we're going to unpack. Bruce, why don't we go ahead and start in on the example? So I kind of let us in here where we've got the policy chugging along over here. It's performing pretty well. And this, if you just look at his illustration one, you just he just put in 40000 per year for four years. And after that, his base premium is being paid by surrendering dividends and then surrendering death benefit in order to cover the base premium only. So no more capital outlay is happening in this policy. And at that point, he had in year 35 of the policy, he's age 60 or 36. Sorry. In year 36 of the policy, he's age 65, and there is 1.5 million in cash value. There's 2.4 million in death benefit. And then he starts taking off an income stream by surrendering the or by using the dividends to pay income, and then also by withdrawing from the cash value. And so that's 92,000 a year. Whereas in the end of the policy, he said if this life expectancy lasted until age 85, at the end, of that, you would have had, you would have used up the 160,000 of cost basis that you put into the policy, in addition to taking out 1.588 million in income, and still had 2.4 million to pay to your heirs in terms of death benefit. That's pretty amazing. Now, this is on previous dividend scales, not today's dividend scales, but what's happening here is we're showing. Cost basis is your capital outlay. You're not putting anything in after those four years, and you're being able to use the policy profoundly in the later years. Then he says, Here, we've got this equipment over here. Now, let's instead of financing the equipment out of a separate financing mechanism, let's use infinite banking to do it. Let's combine these two systems into one. And Bruce, I think we're ready to pick up at that page 52, column two, paragraph two. If you're following along in your book, that's the specific spot that we you mean, I think you I think you mean page 59 correct no we just got to page 52 we had not walked through any oh um, yeah oh I thought you were talking about an illustration I thought you were sorry. talking about the illustration okay yes so I think I think what's really important here to understand because I hear these this miscommunication out on the internet all the time 
where people are talking about the if the more you use your policy, the more you actually uh, you the more you actually make in your policy. And there's a misconception here that that statement is kind of true, but what they're what what they actually miss is that it's additional capitalization. Mm-hmm. It's addition, and you said something I'm not sure everybody understands is that cost basis. Cost basis is the money that you actually put into the policy. So you're the more you put in, the more you increase your cost basis. You can withdraw, according to the IRS tax code 7702, you can withdraw up to your cost basis with no taxable uh, limitations. So you don't have to pay taxes on it because you've already paid taxes on the money. Okay. It's kind of makes sense. Okay. Uh, but then once you get to the cost basis, then the increases would be taxable. So what happens here is Nelson actually did this at a think tank one, one year. He talked about, I think it was his state farm policy. He was taking some income off of it, so on and so forth. And they wrote him a letter and said, the next, the next payment is actually going to be taxable. And he said, no, wait a minute. It will not be taxable because now I want you to change it over to a loan. And loans in any form, unless it's a mech, if you mech a policy, lo- even loans become taxable immediately. So that's one of the reasons you have to make sure the policy doesn't mech. He said, change it over to a loan. You are not going to tax me. So that is that is just one thing I wanted to cover as far yes. as explain to people that are maybe not in finance what the term cost basis means. Okay. So now, yeah, no problem. So as we talked about um, Nelson at the end of the last show, Nelson said everybody should be in two businesses, the one that they get some income from, whether it's your own personal business or your career, and then banking business. And why? Because on average, when he wrote the book, 35% of a person's income was actually going out uh, to financing. And to put that in perspective, for every $10,000 you make, $3,500 was going out to financing. You know, the biggest one in, in the United States is mostly your mortgage. And the second biggest one is usually for car expenses. Mm-hmm. Then as we continue to grow now, you're looking at student loan and credit card debt. And then you have ancillary ones. You know, I saw the other day a billboard where, you know, somebody would finance your uh, air conditioning installation or hot water heater installations. So there's a lot of financing going on. Or your furniture or anything else you want to finance. I mean, goodness, you can even finance the shirts that you purchase if you're uh, not able to pay for them right off right offhand. Right, right. It's just crazy how how so many companies are offering financing for things that we would think you probably just want to be able to pay for those outright instead of extend with the payments and also pay interest on them. Right. And then he then he mentions the fact that businesses come and go. And he, he mentions Bill Gates at the time because Bill Gates was very uh, in the news at the time. And, you know, he said, look at even Bill Gates. He's the richest man in the world, but his business didn't even exist 25 years ago. We have businesses such as Kodak and, and GE and Peabody Coal that are, 
well, GE's kind of hanging on, but the other two are really not even in existence anymore. And so businesses are going to come and go. But what Nelson pointed out was banks are always going to be around. Now, I know somebody out there, some people out there are going to say, well, come on now, we're, you know, we're going to get into Bitcoin and we're going to actually have this decentralization. So, yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, maybe we are, but also, I don't know if you know this, but there's a movement now to actually use cash value life insurance in the crypto world too. So do a little research on that. And I think it will be very interesting for you. So then he says, when he buys the truck this time, he doesn't use the finance company. He calls his gopher at the insurance company. Nelson also realized that, um, the insurance companies also had their limitations. He talked about this many, many times. And, but he also said the insurance company is actually helping you uh, set up your own bank and you don't have to actually have the capital outlay to set up your own bank. Because the best thing to do, and I mentioned this on the show before, I have a really good friend who started his own bank and he had to put up tens of millions of dollars of capital for 10 years to wait to actually do this. Nelson says, you don't have to wait. The insurance company already has a service team. They already have a chief investment officer. They already have these people. So he says, um, you can you can uh, call his gopher at the bank and this person now can borrow the 52,600 from the policy to finance a new truck. Look at line four, column six. The next illustration, you'll see the cash value is 157,363, just like oh. it was in the previous example. Let's point out that's the illustration on page 59, which is illustration two. And basically what he's saying is at the time that he wants to borrow from the policy to take a loan to purchase this truck, he has $157,363 in cash value. And he's saying the insurance company has to lend that somewhere to someone to make money. Of course, you can borrow less than that against your policy. So you want to borrow 52,600. You got three times that much in the policy. Absolutely. You get that policy or you get the loan without having to qualify for it, without having to um, tell why you're, why you're using it, what you're purchasing it for, showing that you have the ability to repay just because you have the cash value available means you are qualified to take a loan against that. Yeah. There's, well, there's two reasons. One is every insurance company that does a business has to allow a loan provision in their contract. So a lot of people say, why do they do this? Well, the first reason is in order to do business in the state that they're doing business in, you have to have a loan provision. And two, it makes, I've talked to the chief investment officers of these companies. Like right now, the 10-year treasury is paying a little over 4%. And a policy loan is paying 5%. So the chief investment officer is like, why wouldn't I lend out money to our own people that we have the collateral and make 5% off of this? And why wouldn't you, as a policy, a mutual policy owner of the company, why wouldn't you want the company to make money from the policy holders? And why wouldn't you want your bank? To make the money instead of a finance company's bank make the money i mean it's nelson used to say this all time. it's so simple people you have to understand that this is simply the banking that you're already doing 
So he says, of course, you have the money available. Why do you have the money available? Because you capitalize. Mm-hmm. You, you took the patient time and capitalized. Okay. So now he says, it is vital that you understand that, you, that he must set up a loan repayment that's equal or exceeds what he would have paid a finance company. He's made this point before. If you're going to pay somebody else's bank and you have to do that, and why do you have to do that? Because that bank is in business to be profitable because that's what every business is in. That's their main goal to turn a profit. Then why wouldn't you do the same thing with your bank? Just pay yourself back because you want your bank to be profitable. So that's why he says equal or exceeding. And this is the point that you were making when you jumped us ahead to the end of the chapter and that little caveat that Nelson put at the very end, this, um, the end note, this is actually the interest is not really interest. It's additional premium or capital that's been paid into the policy that equals the interest that was being paid to the finance company. That sounds complicated, but what he means is that you are saying, oh, look, finance company, I would have had to pay you 8%. I'm only having to pay my infinite banking policy back 5%. I'm going to pay the extra 3% anyways, and I'm going to pay that to my loan. Well, how can you pay more than the interest required on your infinite banking policy? This is where Nelson says, you're not actually putting more interest into the policy. You are calling it interest, but you're actually filling up the PUAs that you were not already paying. So the ability that this person in this example has to put additional interest into his policy is because he wasn't fully paying the base premium and the full paid up additions. If he had been, let's just be really clear about this. If he'd been paying instead of $40,000 just in the first four years, if he was paying the full $40,000 premium every single year and was continuing to pay that full 40,000 base and PUA, he would not have been able to put in additional interest. So what Nelson is doing is showing how you can fully pay as much as possible back to the policy. So, or not, I shouldn't say back to the policy. Let me be clear. You're paying the interest to the insurance company for their financing. Then you're paying the additional interest into your policy in the form of a PUA to, to further capitalize your policy. Bruce, is there any clear way we can say that? I just want to make sure that that's. No, but I'm glad you, I was going to clear that up too before you did. So I'm glad you did that. There is an interest cost that the insurance company charges. And I want to be very clear because there's a lot of people out on the internet right now that are that are saying they get confused because they didn't read page 58 footnote and they're not authorized practitioners. <laughs> so they're telling people you can actually regain all the interest that you're paying from the finance company. You are paying interest payments to the insurance company. But why do you not why do you you don't care about that because that's going to a company that you own. And when you do that, remember, you because you're paying the premium, you don't mind uh, paying the interest because now you're compounding all those premium payments, just like the bank's value is going up all the time also. So then in this same paragraph, um, Nelson talks about uh, people stealing the peas and saying, well, you know, I could have gotten the loan at 3.9%, but the insurance company's charging me 8%. So I'm only going to pay back 3.9%. And 
what what you're doing there is you're actually stealing the piece because your your uh, cash value will go down because you're not actually paying back enough. So remember to pay back at least what the insurance company is charging you. And a lot of people were like, well, that's 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 kind of silly. That's my money. So why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just pay cash? Well, that's where the compounding, the uninterrupted compounding comes from. And remember, if you didn't set up this system, you were going to pay interest to another entity anyway. So you got to wrap your head around it. You got to use your imagination when it comes to this. And uh, it's great. I think we could bring this up right now. Uh, Mark Perry said he will be using his policy to pay my taxes that will be due when he did a Roth conversion in my solo 401k. Mark, uh, I, I can't comment on this now, but if you want to reach out to me, um, we may actually have a better way to do that. Um, and we can just discuss it. Um, but you can reach out to me and we can discuss another way. But I agree that's that's using your imagination. Okay, the next part. Hey, Bruce, before we do that, I do just want to bring up a few people who had also popped in here. So Calvert Enterprises says, yes, I do use infinite banking. I have policies on myself, my wife, and my seven children. I just wanted to point that out. That is amazing. A, that you have seven kids. I love that. And B, that you have a policy on each of them and on you and your wife. Sorry, my son is making some noise here. Um, and then also... Just wanted to say hi to May Lee um, from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Bruce. Great. Thanks for everybody for uh, participating today. It really makes the show go. It's all about you guys. You know, we're trying to we're trying to actually answer the questions that you have and build this community so that you feel like you're not the lone ranger out there. Nelson actually talks about this la uh, later in the book. So keep doing this. Uh, I would encourage you to talk to each other too, <clears throat> and so on and so forth. So as we continue in this chapter, it says, <clears throat> in either of the foregoing responses, the life insurance agent needs to take him back to the grocery store story on page 15. And I cannot emphasize, emphasize this enough because I've owned many businesses in my life. And you have to take care of your business. You cannot just steal from it. And infinite banking is is your business. So whether it's uh, the, the grocery store example or whether you own a clothing store, you should not just be taking clothes off the rack and walking out with, without paying for them. A lot of people say, well, you know, um, it's just less profit I have, but you should be pouring that money back into it so that you have more capital. See, that's more capital that you can expand the store for doing that. And when you expand the store, you're good, it's going to come back in the form of capital to you in the future. You have to be patient. There's a lot of people claiming they're doing infinite banking out there on the internet right now by doing high cash value in one year and then taking off with it. They are not capitalizing and many of them are going to be stealing the piece. And once again, they can do that. That's their own priority. Uh, that's their own prerogative. However, they should not be calling it infinite banking because it's not infinite banking. It's simply uh, putting the money in, taking it out and doing some using cash valued life insurance. And I'm afraid they're going to break their system down very, very quickly. Okay, let's continue. 
One of the greatest examples, Nelson says, if you still do not understand that you have to pay the loans back, then you need to go to the First National Bank of Midland, Texas story on page 19. And I'm just going to abbreviate that story. That story was basically the, uh, the owners of the bank, the board of the bank, they were giving loans at ridiculous uh, terms to their friends. And then their friends were not able to pay it back and the bank failed. Makes perfect sense. So the same thing will happen to you if you do not pay your loans back. Because if you don't pay your loans back, you probably don't value the premiums either, the capitalization, so on and so forth. And if he says, if he still does not understand why he should pay retail market prices, then the agent needs to resign his relationship with him, draw a line through his name and forget him. He is either unteachable or he is a thief. Nelson, I love Nelson because he was very direct with people. And we've done this at the Money Advantage. People have called us and, and they've said things like, I know you do not like 1090 policies, but I like the way you explain things. And I really like to set one up with you guys, even though you don't like them. And I'm like, uh, no, because your mindset doesn't align with us. And I, then I also say, why do you want this? And why do you think they're so great? And they said, well, I have some real estate that I want to actually purchase right away, but I want to get this into a policy because it's going to compound. Well, the skinny, the little skinny base is not going to compound that much. And your mindset is not great. So what I tell them is what I think a better thing to do would be don't even set up your policy right now. Go buy the real estate and then work on your mindset. And then the cash flow you're going to get off of that real estate, use that to set up your whole life insurance policy. Once you can prove to me that you can do that, then you have the right mindset. So I agree with Nelson. And Nelson talked to us, the practitioners are about this all the time. And, and that's kind of what he's saying. But if the agent is really good at his job, he will convince them to pay $1,600 per month, the extra cash flow becomes the capital in the system. So he's saying you, you need to pay over the market rates and enable his gophers at the life insurance company to lend more money to all those other borrowers. So what he's saying now is you're not actually just helping your system. You're actually capitalizing the insurance company more. And if the insurance company has more capital, they can lend out <clears throat> excuse me, from their reserves to more policyholders, and they can actually then get more interest back into the mutual company, which in turn then gives all the mutual policyholders more income in the form of a greater dividend. So everybody benefits. The reason everybody benefits, one last point, and then you can jump in here. The reason everybody benefits is they are not expanding the money supply. So everybody is benefiting from that closed system. Okay, Rich. All right. Um, I'm going to jump in here while um, Eli is being quiet for a second. So um, what I love here is that he's also, the very next sentence, he says the extra money does not go into the general portfolio of the company. It goes to his policy that's being administered on the company by the company on his behalf. And what I thought was very, very, very interesting is that if you were going to take a loan and repay that loan just at the interest the insurance company is requiring of you, 
there's actually two steps beyond that that Nelson is taking this particular example. The first step is he's paying higher interest than the insurance company is requiring by adding in that additional, um, I don't know what percent it was that he would have got through the finance company. I can't remember. I think it was like- uh, 3.9 to 8%, okay. I think it was. Okay, so the additional rate of interest that was being charged by the finance company, he's saying, go ahead and pay that to your policy anyway. That's going over in the form of PUAs. He said, then in addition, don't stop paying just when the loan is finally finalized, continue paying more. And here's when I caught it. I was rereading this last night and I didn't catch this the first time. If you look at the $1,600 a month that he's paying into the policy over the course of four years, that actually is totally repaying the loan. The total repayments equal $72,000. He did not borrow $72,000. He borrowed $52,600 and he's paying back a total of $72,000. So in two ways, he's saying pay more than what's required on this loan. And what it's doing is it's benefiting the policy owner because it's adding additional capital into your policy. Let me be really clear what I mean by that. Remember when he had us financing that policy for the first four years and I said that was your capital outlay. You had the 40,000, 40,000, 40,000, 40,000. That makes 160,000 just in the first four years. That's your capital outlay or your cost basis. That's what you're putting into the policy. In example one or illustration one, he had you putting in no more capital after that fourth year. However, with illustration two now, he's borrowing against the policy and he's saying, I'm going to pay back not only more interest than required, I'm also going to pay back longer than required, even after my loan is fully paid. And those extra payments are going to the policy in the form of PUAs. And so he's putting more cost basis into the policy. He's putting more capital in. That is more capital than the initial 160000 in the first four years. And um, I want to use that to comment on a point that JJ Joyce said a few minutes ago. He said, isn't that footnote on page 58, the building point on Nelson's message about also finding funds to start multiple policies? And yes, it could be. So for instance, if you were fully capitalizing and paying your full premiums every single year in policy one, let's just say for instance, and now you take a loan and you want to be an honest banker and you want to pay back the highest rate of interest possible and you want to pay back longer than possible. So you're actually putting in more than required to repay that loan. You could use that additional capital that's not able to fit into policy one to start a new policy, a policy two in your infinite banking system. And that would be doing something very similar to um, Calvert Enterprises here, you're saying um, that you have policies on you, your wife, and all seven of your children. You're starting additional policies. And that's what an infinite banking system is all about. It's not just having one policy you're maximizing, but you're figuring out how to maximize a whole system of policies for banking in your family. Yeah. And Calvert, uh, cost of finance also says you have to leave room in the policy, uh, though, right? You know, it's a question. <clears throat> this is, this is um, I think, also very confusing. Do you have to leave additional room? Well, you're not really leaving it. Nelson and I talked about this on a couple of occasions, and it's one of the reasons he said he wished he would have never put illustrations in the book. And, and I know some people said, then why in the heck did he leave them in the book? Well, there's a couple of reasons he said he left them in the book. Number one is that he is trying to get people to think. Um, and number two is he didn't. He then added an illustration later on, and we're going to go over that probably in 
in the next couple of weeks to, to explain the illustration. So the cost of finance, um, leaving room nowadays, it's different than in 2001 because the, um, the mortality rules have changed. The, uh, the uh, 7702 rules have changed. And in order to leave that room, a lot of companies do not like to get up right up to the mech. If you notice, uh, there was no term on Nelson's uh, policies because you could build them differently back then. Now, if you leave room, you actually have to put a lot more term in it and it actually makes it much more inefficient to do that. So now, as long as you understand the concept that you can continue to pay the premium by using the financing example, but actually, if you work with a good authorized practitioner, you're going to put as much capital in it as possible. You're not going to be able to put additional what Nelson called interest, which is simply additional PUAs. So the cost of finance, the way you solved it, which is awesome, and the way Nelson would say to solve it is, now you just have more policies. And so that additional interest that you would have normally pay to that policy, you're now paying it as in the form of premiums to another policy. The other thing that has changed over this time period was the additional scrutiny that the insurance companies have been under from the regulators and the insurance companies because of Nelson's push for more people having whole life in the form of infinite banking, that the insurance companies have come down on how much of your cash flow you can actually put in to a policy. So example, I had worked all the way up uh, to probably in the year 2012, where all my cash flow, just like Nelson talked about, was going in to policies. And as my cash flow increased, the insurance companies now have new guidelines that say, no, wait a minute, back up here. We do not want you to put all this money in this, all this cash flow in here, because we want you to be successful. I suspect that people were not doing the infinite banking uh, concept properly. And banks are trying to, uh, not banks, insurance companies, uh, there's a Freudian slip there. Um, insurance companies were actually having complaints from people that were not doing it properly. So they backed off and said, let's not have a person be able to put all their cash flow in. Now you still can do it if you build up your net worth and so on and so forth. I probably, I feel like I might've made that more confusing uh, rather than less confusing. So I'm gonna try to actually bring this all around again to the original question. Do you need to leave room? I wouldn't say you need to leave room, but you always have room in the form of your original premium payments that now will simply come from the flow of the financing instead of from your normal cash flow. I hope that cleared it up. Now you have more normal cash flow. So what do you do with that? You start another policy. It's that simple. So instead of having that cash flow for financing flow somewhere else, you're going to have actually pay it for your premium on your original one. And now your cash flow that you were using to fund the original policy, you would use it to fund another policy. Okay. 
Uh, let's we have some more uh, cost of finance. For example, my premium is five k a year, but I left room to add additional five for the total of ten. Yes, you can still do that, but they're not as efficient uh, in the form of cash. And this is for another day. In order to do that, your base premium is going to be lower. If you don't mind cost of finance. We don't normally like to talk about individual insurance companies, but could you could you say which insurance company that was with also? Because each insurance company has their different guidelines also. And also say what year you took that out. Mm. Um, that would be very, very helpful. Okay. As he does his, as he does that, let's continue. Um so Bruce, so I didn't says, go word for word, but I did cover the first paragraph on page paragraph, Yes, yeah. So now we go to line, and we have, um, you know, maybe 10 minutes left. So he said, go to the line 36, his age, and look at the cash value comparison. So now when we do this, Rachel already did it earlier for another example. The cash value is now 1,988,254 compared to 1.513. So about another... $470,000 and by financing just this one truck. It's not because, and I want to be very clear with this because there's a lot of bad information out on the internet. It's not because you're recapturing the interest that you would have paid to the finance company because that interest is going to the insurance company. It is because you're paying additional premiums into your system. You're capitalizing more. That shouldn't be hard to understand. Okay. It's not some magic thing that all of a sudden you get this greater return, but there's a lot of people out on TikTok, Instagram, so on and so forth that are saying, see, you're actually paying all that interest to you. And that's why you're recut. No, that's not why. It's because you're capitalizing more, mm -hmm. but you're not capitalizing from your cash flow. You're actually capitalizing from the, the money that you would have sent to the finance company. And I hope so that money I hope was, I can, was flowing out of your control. That money was flowing out of your control. I hope that this will add clarity, not confusion. If you take an example and you take a, a life insurance policy and you show taking one loan and repaying that loan only, not anything extra at the interest rate required, which is going to the life insurance company, not to you, you will not actually affect the ending cash value or death benefit of the policy. Bruce, I don't know if you're, um, if you're hearing that as well. So what, what I've seen in an example, we can run with software to say, here's my policy. Here's me taking one loan in the course of that lifetime of the policy repaying that one loan, not anything extra, no extra interest, just the interest required to the insurance company, not going to impact your cash value and death benefit. You, you take another loan, two loans, three loans, 15 loans. No matter how many loans you take from that policy, if you pay just the loan back and just the interest required, which goes to the insurance company, you actually don't impact the cash value and the death benefit. The only way you're impacting the cash value and death benefit is by paying extra more than the loan which is not actually to the loan, you're actually paying interest or additional loan payments in the form of premium. That's the only way you're going that's, to impact cash value and death benefit. That's a great way of saying it, Rachel. Thank you. Very, very good way. 
<clears throat> However, there is one way that your cash value can be impacted by, by you doing the exact same thing. And that is how the original design is and if dividends increase in the future. Yes, that's true. Then your cash value will actually go up compared to the illustrated value when dividends go up in the future. That's for another time. We've actually talked about this, but the design is, is very important as far as future dividends that you may get from the insurance company. And dividends are actually based upon um, the interest that the insurance companies are making on the bonds. And bond inter- when bond interest rates go up, dividend rates are going to go up. It's mm-hmm. Historically, it's always happened through the 100 plus years of every insurance company. So it's not if they're going to go up, it's when they're going to go up. There's always a little bit of a lag in this because the insurance company is there's something about duration of bonds and we can't go into all that today because it's a, we'll go into it in future episodes but we can actually talk about that so rachel this is probably a pretty good uh, place to stop because now we've kind of un- unpacked and explained with one and from now on in this chapter he's just talking about two trucks three trucks so he's on continuing so to add more financing so he's using the same policy with the same initial capitalization to add more loans, higher volume of loans and bigger loans to the policy. And he's showing what that impacts the performance in the future. And and so we will probably cover this again next time. It's not the fact that you can take more loans that makes the policy perform better in the future. It's that you put more cost basis in, more premium dollars. And I'm going to, this is going to be my final thing that I point I want to make today. The reason you can put more premium dollars in is because you are now financing that from your banking system and you're using the money that would have normally flowed to another financing system. Now you're recapturing that cash flow and that cash flow now becomes premiums in your banking system. It really is that simple. People make it complicated, but it is that simple. But you have to rethink your thinking. That's the, remember, that's the number five tenant of Nelson Nash, five tenants of the infinite banking system. You got to rethink your thinking. For a question that came up at the very beginning, um, Latanya Jones, I wanted to just speak to this really briefly. It doesn't necessarily connect in with what we just were talking about, but I do want to um, just answer. I don't know if you're still on the call, Latanya, but um, you said, please elaborate on convertible term and PUAs. Oh, yeah. The, the amazing thing about convertible term is because term insurance is not permanent, it doesn't last your entire life. Term insurance takes that death benefit and says, let me give you a policy that will last for 10 years or 15 or 20 years or even 30 years that will pay out a death benefit if you pass away during that time frame. So it has no cash value attached to it. It's not really an apples to apples comparison between term and whole life insurance at all. You cannot use term for infinite banking. However, there's a tremendous benefit. I have a lot of term insurance in addition to our whole life insurance on both my husband and myself. And the reason is that convertible term, well, let me just talk about term in general. You want to have term insurance in addition to whatever you're doing in infinite banking because 
You want the maximum human life value to be insured for, meaning that the full amount of death benefit you can possibly have would be paid out in the event of your death. So the best way to do that beyond what you may be able to fund into an infinite banking policy right now is to add term insurance. And I'm not talking about just the term insurance that you add into the whole life policy as a term rider. I'm talking about a separate policy that is a different policy number altogether that is a term insurance policy. You pay a very small premium for that length of time that's not your whole life that will that that term policy will pay out a death benefit if you pass away during that time. The value of having it be convertible is that all throughout the lifetime of that term policy. So say I start a term policy now, I'm 38 years old and it's a 30-year term. That's going to last me until I'm 68 years old. Anytime along that continuum of my life, I take a portion of that and I chunk it out and I say, you know, I do have more cash value now or cash flow. I want some additional whole life insurance. Oh, what if I've had a health crisis in my life and I'm no longer insurable and I couldn't qualify for life insurance at all anymore, but I can use that piece of convertible term. Say it's a another $300,000 of death benefit. I can convert that chunk over into whole life and I can pay premiums on a whole life policy using the underwriting that I got today because I knew I was insurable. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly enough, but the value of having convertible term is that for somebody who might feel like whole life is too much of a stretch right now to start whole life, or if you want to start a small whole life policy today, but you want the ability to have more whole life policies in the future, convertible term is a powerful way to say, let me just stick my foot in the door and prop that door open. So no matter what happens in my life, even if I'm not insurable, I still have the ability to convert this over because I'm using that initial underwriting and you don't have to go through underwriting again when you convert that over into whole life insurance. So a powerful tool, I believe everyone should have convertible term. If you're within, I mean, maybe I should put a caveat on that. If you're under the age of 65 or something, you should probably have convertible term up until your your human life value amount so that you have the ability to convert that over into whole life. Bruce, I don't know if you've add, you'd add anything two else. Things that, that. Two things to add. Con, you, cannot, con, you cannot compare convertible term to regular term that's not convertible. <clears throat> the pricing is completely different. And that's because you get an, an extra benefit. So a lot of people say, well, that's, that's a ripoff because that, that convertible term from, or they don't say convertible term because they don't know it. That term from that company is so much more expensive. I'm going to go get this term over here. Well, that, that's because you have an extra feature. I would be like saying a car that had air conditioning is a ripoff because they charge you more for the air conditioning than a car that doesn't have air conditioning. I'm showing my age because there used to be car, cars that didn't have air conditioning, believe it or not. Um, <clears throat> so that's one thing. Convertible term is more expensive. The other thing is, <clears throat> just to make this very clear, most companies, I don't know of any of them that are, that are like this. You have to convert it before age 65. Mm, okay. Okay. Now, I'm sure there's some companies out there that have convertible term after 65, but it's going to be really expensive because if you're going to be able to convert something to a permanent policy at age 78, when that's mortality, then you know, the insurance companies would have had to make the the premiums very, very expensive during that time period. So um, very good. Uh, JJ Joyce says people can convert their term into different structures of base and PUAs, or do they need to be all the same? 
No, JJ, great question. First of all, <clears throat> let's say you have a million dollars of convertible term. You can convert uh, all of it or a portion of it. So let's say you only want to convert 100,000 of it. And then, JJ, you can actually convert that 100,000 into however you want it to be converted to. You can say, I want 50,000 of it to be from base and 50,000 of it to be PUAs. Then you still have the 900,000 left that can be, you can convert it in chunks mm -hmm. as long as you're not 65. So that's a very good question. And if you have, and, mo and depending on design, you may not need it, but most policies that are designed for infinite banking, if you have a term in that policy, that's also convertible. So you can say at a certain point, I'm going to convert that term within that particular contract to a more of a base. I, I mentioned this on the show before. Uh, in 2020, I believe, three years ago, um, my wife's, one of her policies, because we have several policies, one of my wife's terms was coming due, because we've had these for years and years and years. When I say coming due, I mean it was going to fall off. So we converted it, and we converted it to an all-base policy. By the way, that's not infinite banking, <laughs> because infinite banking would say you need to have some cash value. In the first year, we had very little cash value. It wasn't zero, but it was very little. But I wanted to capture what I believe was future dividend increases early to compound and go forward because I've been doing this since the 80s and I know how the power of the compounding of future dividends increases. So that's why I did. So Latoya, thank you so much for explaining and the clarification. You're welcome. And thank you for listening. So thank, hey, thanks for the participation today. There was a lot of great participation, a lot. A lot of great uh, people were in and out of the, the meeting the entire time. We um, appreciate that. And it, it gives uh, Rachel and I energy to continue to do this every Wednesday morning. And we really appreciate you. The show awesome. will surely be on repeat. <laughs> Latoya says, thank you. Well, Latoya, I'm glad. And I know there was a parts of it that um, I kind of stumbled through the explanation because I'm thinking about you know, my future uh, thoughts. I hope it was clear enough. And if you guys want to reach out to us and we can clarify some things, so a lot of times in person, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to explain it for people that have a general understanding and you can ask clarifying questions that are a lot easier um, so that I can uh, fix what your misunderstanding on the whole thing, just you, not the entire group. So please reach out if you need more clarification. All right. I'm going to attempt to, to uh, close us out with uh, not some squawking going on. So um, thank you for being with us today. And um, yeah, I, Lato Latea, I'm not sure if we're pronouncing your name correctly. I call you Latanya beginning. Bruce is calling you Latoya. I'm not Latoya. sure. Latea. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> for uh, butchering your name there. But um, thank you so much all for being on the show today. And I really appreciate the questions, the feedback, the um, the input. And I love that you guys are using infinite banking and continuing to want to use 
it more and more efficiently and more effectively. It's more than just getting a policy started. It's really knowing how to drive it really well. Um, so I guess this is like a driving class <laughs> for infinite <laughs> banking. So um, if you want to um, develop your infinite banking system further, you can reach out to us at themoneyadvantage.com on the front page. You can book a call and have the ability to really get started and have a conversation about you personally in your life, what you're trying to accomplish, your finance setup, what your financial picture looks like, what you are, um, what assets you have, what cash flow you have, what your income is, what your expenses are, and really look at the full picture and figure out how to best make this work for you in your life. And so that's one next step that you can have. If you have specific questions, you can put them into the chat while we're live as you have, or you can, if you're listening after the show has not been live any longer, please put your questions and comments in the comment section beneath wherever you're watching. And we'd love to be able to get back to you on those. Or if you have a personal question, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. So lots of ways to reach out and get your um, your questions answered and really get the feedback and input and insight that you need to be able to make decisions and move forward. Um, I will also say that if you like and subscribe to the show, that really helps more people um, like you to be able to find us and to be able to find this content so that they can get those questions answered as well. And if you, um, never mind, I already said that part. So in closing, please remember success leaves clues and, um, well, thank you, JJ Joyce. I see your comment here, the driving class for infinite banking. Um, so success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Cato's Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Cato's Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Cato's Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.